Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Luke chapter 12, verse number 39. And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And today for a few minutes I wanna preach on this subject. Is there a good man in your house? Is there a good man in your house? God bless you, you may be seated. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Well done you and faithful servant. Good and acceptable and perfect will of God according to Romans chapter 12 begins with good. God wants us to be good men and good women. Can I get an amen to that? Let me explain to you what I believe are at least five responsibilities of a good man. He is to be a provider, 1 Timothy 5 and 8. If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith. He is worse than an infidel. He is to provide. Number two, he is to be an example. Number three, he is to be a teacher. Number four, he is even meant to be a corrections officer. Lord knows I need a lot of correction in my life. I still get spankings. You ever get a spanking since you've been a Christian? I've gotten lots of them, but they're good for me. Chastising from the Lord is good for you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't correct you. If he didn't care, he'd let you go on the way you're going. Mistakes, let me explain something about mistakes to you. People that are knowledgeable about mistakes learn from them. People that are wise concerning mistakes learn from others. You don't have enough time in your life to make all the mistakes that you could make and you don't have enough patience or power to overcome them. You must ask God for wisdom. If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. He wants you to be wise. Now I have, I'll get to the fifth thing in just a moment, but I have come to believe that we are in large part a product of people that we have allowed to enter into our lives. Now, there are some people in your life that you don't have a choice in. You didn't get to pick your mother and your father. Your father, that's the father you have. And, And I also realize that some of you may be here today and you may say, I had a terrible father. I was abused as a child. I I wasn't loved as a child. My father didn't have any time for me. 
He was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. He didn't treat my mother right. I had a terrible father, and Father's Day might be painful for you. But let me say this to you. You will never cease to have a heavenly, eternal father. Never. That will never cease. He will never die. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Every time you mention the name of Jesus, you're going to include, oh, he's wonderful. Oh, he's a counselor. Oh, he's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He'll never die. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never fail you. You have always had the opportunity to have an eternal father. So if your earthly father failed you, do two things. Rely on your heavenly father and be a better father than your father was. My father said to me, I never forgot it. He said, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be better. I want you to be better than me. Now, I had a great father. I've, I've been extremely blessed. I, I, to this day, my father passed away in 1985. He was 59 years in age. He died too soon. And to this day, you say, well, do you ever get over that? No. You never get over it. If you love somebody and you lose somebody, you'll never completely get over it. But you need to get on with it. Somebody said amen. You'll never get over it, but you need to get on with it. And if you don't have somebody to love like your father, then put that love in a bunch of other people. Spread it out. I pray for the Matson family. I know they just lost... Cliff just lost his mother, but you take the love that you've had for the one you lost and you give a piece of it to this person and a piece of it to that person, you spread it out and guess what happens? What you sow comes back to you. You will reap it. Now the second important man I had in my life was a Methodist pastor. He was a big guy, about the size of John Franklin. Big guy, football player, played for North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. Loved kids. Oh, he loved kids. He'd play football with us. As soon as the Packer game was over, we all went over to the church and played football together. And he organized it. He took us up north to his place up in Eagle River, Wisconsin. He took us out on youth fellowships. He had a big old international harvester. He could cram a bunch of kids in there. He was very thrifty. While all of us kids ate at McDonald's, you know what he did? He got out his brown paper bag, ate the sandwich and the apple that he had prepared. When we got close to the church on our way back from events and it was downhill, he put the vehicle in neutral so that he could save gas. I don't think they paid him very much Maybe one of the reasons that I'm in the church today partly is because of Ed Zager. But Ed Zager was crucified by his Methodist congregation. When they crucified Ed Zager and ran him out, I went with them. I remember the day 
It was a sad day because he was like a father to me. I remember the accusations. I was allowed at 16. If you're over 16, you could sit in a business meeting and they brought him before the congregation and had one of their bishops and they were making accusations against him that they couldn't prove. But the congregation, apparently enough of them, turned on him and they ran him out. While they talked about him, they didn't allow him in the room. He had to stand in the foyer while people could make accusations against him. And I sat in that congregation and wept. And finally, and I'm just a kid, you gotta remember, as a kid you can be intimidated by adults. But I was so hurt and so angry that I stood up and said my piece. And then I left crying. And when I got into the foyer, you know who I found there? Pastor Zager, he'd heard every word I said, and I fell on his shoulders and I cried like a baby. Because when you love somebody and they get hurt, you get hurt with them. We weep together, we suffer together. That's part of relationship. But they ran him out. And that was a sad, sad day in my life. The third great man that came into my life was Pastor Frank Tamil. What a tremendous, tremendous man of God. He did so many wonderful things for me. What Brother Cordell said about, you know, Brother Kylie or Brother Matson or other people took him under his wing. That's what Pastor Tamil did for me. I remember, can I get away from my notes and just talk to you from my heart? When I first came into the came into the church, we were so excited about what God was doing in our life. And one of the first things that happened, this happened to Brother Matson too, I remember it, when he first started coming to Abundant Life from Elam. One of the first services he walked into was, we were raising money for a building fund. And so he gets to hear us talking about money. And, but you know what, when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, your values change. Your money is not nearly as important as it once was because you're so thankful for what God has done in your life and in your marriage, the peace and joy and righteousness of the Holy Ghost. I mean, we were excited. And one of the things we did when we first came into church was we decided we were gonna be so spiritual, we got rid of our TV. So we had no entertainment in our home, so we decided that we were gonna go out and buy a stereo so that we could listen to all this Christian music and and radio programs that would, you know, would be more spiritually enhancing. Cost us $400. So we spent the $400, brought the stereo in, and then they started talking about the building fund. Well, we don't have any money. And the $400, I don't know, we might even borrow that, I don't know, but we didn't have any money for the building fund. So I turned to my wife and I said, honey, what are we gonna do to help this church? Maybe we need to sell the stereo, get our money back, give it to the building fund. But somehow, brother and sister Tamil got wind of what we were doing. I don't know how, but they found out. And brother and sister Tamil sat us down and said, Rick and Liz, you need that stereo. You need Christian music in your home. It enhances the environment and invites the presence of God. Can I get an amen to that? I hope you play Christian music in your home. And they said, you need to keep the stereo. 
And they gave us $400. Said, now here's $400. You can pay us back if you can, and if you don't, that's okay too. And they taught us this lesson, to be generous with other people, but to never count on that generosity coming back. If you loan somebody, here's another principle, this taught this from Brother Tamil. If you loan money to somebody, never get it, give it unless you can count on not getting it back. Because if you don't get it back and you have expectations of getting it back, there's gonna be ill feelings. So you have to do this. That's gone. And that's what they taught us. Pastor Tamil made us apprentices, for lack of a better term, gave us opportunity. And I could just never, I know he's passed now, and I, uh, one of the first things I, I'm gonna do when I get there is tell him how much I appreciated what he did for me. Why did you say all that? Because sometimes we don't appreciate people till they're gone. And so I hope somewhere today, if you have the opportunity to speak to a father or a father-in-law, you will tell them thank you for at least the things you can thank them for. Now the last thing, the fifth thing, is they are protectors. Fathers are meant to be protectors. If you've been to our home, you may have noticed a mat right by the door when you come into the garage. It has a picture of a handgun on it, and it says, this door is locked for your protection. Not our protection, your protection. You don't wanna be in the Kylie house in the middle of the night without an invitation in the dark. Just gotta warn you about that. That's the way fathers are. They get up in the middle of the night when something is happening because they are to be the protectors. And not just from criminals. This is where we began with our text. He said the good man would have watched if he'd have known when somebody was trying to break into his house. But there's more than one application to this verse of scripture. And hopefully I can show that to you today. I want to talk to you about the good and the bad of King David. The good and the bad of King David. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, reads this way. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. They had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, neither either great or small, but they carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captive. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. The bad of David was he failed to protect his family and the families of those that served him. Failed to protect. 600 men are out fighting the battles, but zero men are left as a vanguard 
to protect that which is precious. The most precious thing you have is your family and your friends. This was unprotected. And because it was unprotected, while they were out fighting the battles of everyday life and the manhood that was involved in being fathers and men, they failed to protect that which was precious. And when all of this was taken from them, they wept until they could weep no more. They were cried out. And after they were cried out, then they became angry. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6 said, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The man they loved so much, now they turned on him. You see, hate needs a target. It needs to be able to blame someone or something. That's what hate does. How did this happen? Well, you know, we serve David. And David failed to protect our families. Did you ever mention to him that maybe we should have left somebody behind? Well, no, but he's the leader. He's responsible. It's, it's on him. He'll have to accept responsibility for this. So they wanted to stone him. Hate needs a crowd, but love can stand alone. Do you hear that? Once people start hating and they have a target, they want people to join them. You'll see a lot of protests on television and on newscasts of people hating other people. It'd be one thing if you hated somebody, but now you want a crowd to join you. You want an alliance. You want to stir people up because hate needs a crowd, but love can stand alone. You want an example? Jesus. What got him crucified? Hate. Jealousy. Who stood with him? Nobody. So the hate that needs a crowd is met head on with the love that can stand alone. And then it says, the last part of the verse, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. You've heard me say it before. Why did David encourage himself? Because nobody else would do it. There wasn't anybody there to say, hey, you know what? Any one of us could have said we should have left some people behind and protected the city. Nobody said that. Nobody said, hey, let's go get it back. They were just so angry that they wanted to hurt him. They wanted to kill him. But David, here comes the good in David's life, encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. I've been in bad situations before. I remember lions and bears. I remember giants. I remember how God has taken care of me and brought me to this point. I might feel like I'm all alone, but I know that I have a heavenly father. I know there's somebody that cares for me, 
somebody that will help me in this situation. So he referred to his memorials and his memories for the encouragement that he needed in his greatest trial. The greatest trial doesn't come from lions and bears and giants. The greatest trials come from people. People that misunderstand you. People that hate you. People that would like a piece of you. And What are you going to do then? How are you going to handle that? Let me give you an example. There once was a grandpa donkey. And he had a little grandson donkey. And he came by a well one day and he said to the donkey, you see that big wide well there? The little donkey said, yes, I see it. He said, well, your grandfather at one time was hated by his owners. And so they took me, all of them picked me up and they threw me in the well and left me there to die. But since I didn't die quick enough, they decided they were gonna bury me. So they started throwing dirt on me. First it was shovelfuls, then it was bucketfuls, and they kept throwing dirt on me, hoping that I would die in the dirt. And the little donkey said, well, Grandpa, obviously you didn't die, what happened? He said, well, he said, when they threw it on my back, I shook it off. And after I shook it off, it fell at my feet. And when it fell at my feet, I started stomping on it. And pretty soon I started getting higher and higher in the well. And I waited for them to leave. And when they left, I jumped out of the well. And the moral of the story is, you got to shake it off and you got to step it up. There are some things that are going to come to your life. People are going to throw dirt on you. It doesn't have to be true. You can make an accusation about anybody on anything and they can throw dirt on you, but you need to shake it off. You know the truth. Shake it off, step on it, and jump out of your well. And that's what David did. David did three things, and if you're taking notes, here's what you wanna write down. David did three things in his greatest trial. Number one, he encouraged himself. Number two, he inquired of the Lord what he should do next. And number three, he went and did what he was told. Encouraged himself, inquired of the Lord, went and did what he was told to do. David inquired, verse eight of 1 Samuel 30, inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, pursue, you will surely overtake them and without fail you will recover all. Because he inquired of God, God gave him an answer. And then the third thing David did is in verse nine, so David went. God told him what to do and he went. He and the 600 men that were with him and they came to the brook Pashor where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and his 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not cross over the book 
for sure. Here's what I think happened. When the 600 men got to the brook, there were 200 men that were so faint and wore out that they said, David, we cannot even cross this brook. We do not have the strength to go another step. And David, this is my opinion, and David said, if you can't cross this brook, then you guard the stuff that we don't need for battle. And all the stuff that they had that was not necessary to fight in their battle, they left with the 200 men on that side of the brook, 400 men then pursued. Because they were going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. And David, this is verse 17, and David smote them from the twilight even to the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, nor anything that had been taken from them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which drew before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. Now in the last four verses, you don't hear anything about the 400. You only hear about David. And David did this, and David did that, and David recovered all, and, and the spoil that they took after they took everything that, that they had lost back, they said, this is David's spoil. You see how people are so fickled and how they can turn so quickly? One minute, they want to stone the guy because they've lost everything. And a day, within a day, they completely change their course and they say, David, you're so great. You're so mighty in battle. You've not only got our families and all of our possessions back, but look, we've taken everything they have. We have a great spoil and we're going to call it David's. Spoil. That's how quick people can change. But watch this. There's another interesting part to this story. Verse 21. David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they made also to abide at the brook Peshor. And they went forth to meet David, and to meet the people that were with him. And David came near to the people, and he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. So now they're talking about it as if it was their battle, and all belonged to them but we'll give them every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away and depart. We don't even want them around us anymore. David said, you shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord, see it? It's not David and it's not them. The battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. You will not do that which with which the Lord has given us, who has preserved us, who has delivered the company that came against us into our hand. 
Who's going to hearken to you in this matter? But as his part is he that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarried by the stuff. They shall all part alike. Listen, let me see if I can give you a spiritual application. You may believe that your ministry is the most important ministry in the church. And I do not discredit your ministry. But just because somebody else has a ministry that's not the same as yours does not mean that it's not important. You can take an outreach ministry and say, you know what? We gather and we go knock on doors and we hand out flyers and we witness in the community and we, we do all these things to bring as many visitors as we can into the house of God. But those people that teach Sunday school, that guard the stuff, that teach the kids that are already here, they're not as important as we are because we're growing the church. But listen, the people that guard the stuff are keeping the church. We are all necessary. We are all vital. All ministries are important. And the rewards of ministry should be divided by all, not by a few. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Because it's real easy to get in this mode of my ministry versus our ministry collectively. It's that important, and they parted to every man. Finally, I want to give you this. Joshua chapter 24, a good man. 24 and 14 reads this way. Now therefore, fear the Lord. This is his address to the people. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers, see they had some bad fathers too, which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a good man in Joshua's house and he instructs his family to serve the Lord. Don't go along with what's popular in the land that you live or don't necessarily serve the gods that even your parents once served, but serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. Be a good man in your house. Be an example to all that are in your house. Let me give you this example. It's not in our notes, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna remind you of a good man who was not even a Christian. We read about him today in our devotional in prayer this morning, a man by the name of Cornelius, an Italian who reigned over a hundred soldiers, a centurion. Listen to what he was. 
He was a good man, one that feared God with all of his house. He gave much alms or much money to people. He was constantly giving. He prayed to God always. He had his house where it belonged. He was a good man. Matter of fact, he was so good that God had to send a messenger to tell him where to find somebody that could preach the truth to him was. And so he sent the angel and said, thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. Therefore send men to Joppa and call for one Simon who is a tanner. He lives by the seaside. He will tell thee what thou oughtest to do. See, even good men need instruction. And this good man needed the truth. But the problem was is that the Jews thought the only ones that could be saved were the Jews. Sometimes we can get into a mental mode where we think there aren't any good people out there anymore or the good ones don't need God and the bad ones don't want God. Then why would we still be here? If that were the case, God would take the church if that were the case. There's still good people that need God. There's still bad people that might change their minds. We are left behind because we are the Peters that this story talks about. But Peter needed to understand. And so God gave him a visual illustration. He let down a sheet of unclean animals that they were not supposed to eat, ceremoniously unclean. And then he said, Peter, take the animals out of the sheet slay them and eat them. And Peter said, oh no, I don't eat unclean animals. That's, that's a violation of the law. We're Jews. We don't break the law. And the Lord told him, do not call that which I have cleansed. Did you hear that? Do not call that which I have cleansed common or unclean. See, God can see things that even Peter can't see. I'm gonna clean these people up. I'm gonna gonna pass the Jewish borders and I'm gonna go to all the Gentiles and I'm gonna give them this truth too. They are currently good people, but God wants us to take a step up. Somebody said amen. You may be a good man, but God's not finished with you and he's not finished with me. And there's things that I can do better and I need some growing And so Peter gets it. And the voice says, there'll be three men standing at your gate. Do not hesitate to go with them. So Peter comes downstairs. Sure enough, there they are. Our master sent us. You're supposed to go back with us. And he goes back. He takes six witnesses because he is not supposed to eat a meal with a Gentile. But he's trying to be obedient to what God asked him to do. And when he gets there, Cornelius recites the story. And listen to, read about it in Acts chapter 10. He not only has his whole family there to hear what Peter has to say. He's got everybody in the neighborhood. They're all right there. We have all gathered to hear what you have to say. And Peter starts preaching but he preaches too long 
And before he can get done with his message, the Spirit of God comes down and fills them with the Holy Ghost, and they begin speaking in other tongues, and the Jews that were with Peter were amazed and said, they've received the Holy Ghost as well as we. Can any man forbid water that they should not be baptized? And he commands them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and tarries with them certain days. Because God, God loves even the good. I know it's hard for you to believe, but there is none righteous, no, not one. We might be good comparing ourselves among ourselves, Well, I'm not gonna make that mistake. I'm gonna stop right here. Don't wanna preach too long. Let's stand together. I leave you with this final thought, men. Is there a good man in the house? Job 1 and 5, it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, meaning his children. He rose up early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and they've cursed God in their hearts. And thus did Job continually. He was a good man. He loved his family. He prayed for them and he was greatly, greatly blessed. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and certain ke- Satan came also among them and the Lord said to Satan, whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and from in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Listen to this. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect, wow, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and one that eschews evil. There's a good man. There's somebody we need to be like. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Have not thou made a hedge about him, about his house, about all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Satan knew where the blessings came from that Job received. And he said, I can't get to Job. You have not allowed me access because this guy, this guy prays for his family every day. There's a good man in Job's house. And God wants you and I, whether we're men or we're women, 
to be good men and good women. And we need to put a hedge around what God has given us and what God has blessed us with. And so today, I think it would be appropriate if, if you would come to this altar, if you have a family, bring your family and wrap your arms around them and pray for them one more time. and Be more consistent. Not perfect, you're not, I know you're not perfect, but as often as you can, get up and pray for your family and keep Satan at bay. Jesus, it's Father's Day. We have a tremendous responsibility and sometimes we fail, but we gotta keep trying. People are counting on us, Lord. You see us as the head of our homes. Help us to be good men, to be prayerful about our marriages, prayerful about our families, prayerful about the substance that you've blessed us with. Help us to recognize that other people need our testimony, are waiting for us to come to their house and tell them what they ought to do and help us to respond with, yes, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do it. I will encourage myself, I will inquire of you, and I will do whatever you ask. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.